So if you haven't been here or you're just joining us, uh, we've been in a series about who we have been created to be, uh, what it means, you know, what is our identity uh, in God, how has God designed us to be, and how can we step into that identity as God's people, and we've been looking at different things, you know, what it is to be created, you know, in the image of God, and to be uh, adopted by God, loved by God, and securing God in Christ, and um, today we're going to talk about the idea of what it is to be free, uh, what that means, and how we can step into it, and I, I kind of want to just get immediately into the text today, and so if you guys have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and um, we're going to start here in uh, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 6. If you don't have the text, you can look up at the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. And it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Okay, so to give you a little bit of background just on the book of Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians is a letter written by uh, Paul to the church in Galatia. And one of the big issues, really the big issue in the book, in this letter, is uh, the law versus grace. And Paul, throughout this letter, you know, he starts, he opens up with this kind of, I'm, I'm astonished, I'm shocked that you guys are turning away from the gospel, the core of the gospel, which is grace in Jesus Christ, which is, which is the idea that Jesus is the one who has come and who has paid completely for our debt, who has paid completely for our sin. And it's only by grace through faith that you can be saved. And they're turning. They were turning because there was this kind of other, uh, I guess you could call it like a religious sect or a faction that was saying, no, there is grace, but you also need the law. Right? And so Paul really outlines throughout the first four chapters, he uses various kind of illustrations. He goes back to Old Testament. He talks about these allegories of the slave woman and the free woman and kind of the idea that the law is slavery and there's freedom in Christ. And the initial point here that I want to, there will be a few things that we'll look at in this passage. But the first thing I just want to cover is that God has created us to be free in Christ. Now, it sounds very obvious. It is obvious. It's almost overly obvious because he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, that's a redundancy there, right? Obviously, he's using kind of that word freedom, at least the root word freedom, twice there, but it's because he wants to emphasize it. He wants it to be understood that there is this freedom in Christ that if you go back to the law, you lose. 
Like, there is this freedom in Christ that we were created for, that we are meant to step into, that is only in Christ. Now, okay, before we even talk about the law, which we will get into, and what all that means, we have to talk about the fact that to follow Jesus is almost like if you would take it to a, to a theological, almost like a philosophical level, it is ultimate freedom. It is the ultimate freedom that we can experience as humans. Right? Now, the reason that I have to even say something like that is that many of us tend to think that following Jesus is not freedom. It is restrictive. It is less freedom to follow Jesus. It is, le- you know, if I give myself to Christ, then I am less free than I would be if I were outside of Christ. If I become a Christian, I am less free than I would be if I were not a Christian. That's the way that we tend to frame it in our minds. But Paul's point is, no, in Christ is the only real freedom. It is for freedom, implying that before Christ or outside of Christ, you do not have freedom. You're a slave. But it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, the reason that we think this is the world pitches freedom. And when I say the, you know, the world, I mean like the world at large or the broader culture or Satan. You can think about it in any of those ways because all those are contributing factors to the way that the world pitches us, the way that the world preaches to us. And what the world preaches to us is that freedom is this, the ability to do whatever you want. That's freedom. It's the ability to do, to have the means to do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. So the more of that that I have, the more of that choice that I have, and different things in our lives give us that means, right? It could be money. It could be like flexibility in your schedule or a certain type of job. It could be a certain type of relationship, Right, one that is not restrictive, one where there aren't, a, where there isn't a lot of, like, let's say, nagging, or you know, if you're dating or something, you might think, oh, well, I don't want one that's kind of like too clingy, or even if in friendships we think that sometimes, you want freedom, you know, freedom of choice. Now that's that's kind of an illusion, right? And in fact, philosophers have talked about this, you know, for centuries, basically, and um, the way that uh, philosophers talk about our desires. So there's kind of, there's basically two types of desires. There's what's called a first-order desire, and this is a simple desire. This is a desire to do something. It's, I want to do something, and it can really be anything you want. Let's say um, the desire to buy a car, the desire to eat a hamburger, uh, the desire to hang out with friends. This is called just kind of a first-order desire. It's a simple desire. It's anything that you can act upon. And if you do act upon it, then we call that will. It's a first-order volition or, or a first-order will. So if I want a hamburger, it's a first-order desire. If I want a hamburger and I eat a hamburger, that's kind of a first-order volition or it's an act of will. 
Now, there is something called a second-order desire. Don't, 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 I don't want you guys to get lost here. It's going to get complicated. I'm going to start saying weird stuff. But please, try, try to follow, okay? So a second-order desire, Jen just yawned, like huge yawn right now. It just came straight towards me. <laughs> See, but that's going to, it's going to like, you're going to be thinking about that now. Uh, so second-order desire is a desire about a desire. So it is to want to want something, right? So I may want a hamburger, but I want to want a salad, right? So I don't want a salad, right? I want a hamburger, but we have second-order desires, right? Like if you smoke, let's say, you know, you want to smoke, but your second-order desire is, but I, I want to not want to smoke, right? So I want to resist smoking, but my first-order desire is I want to smoke, Right? My first order desire is I want to sleep in. My second order desire is I want to get up and exercise. Now, if you act on your second order desire, then that's called a second order volition. It means even though I want a burger, I want to want a salad, so I will eat a salad. That is a second order volition. I'm not doing what I want. I'm doing what I want to want. I'm doing what I wish I wanted to do, even though I don't actually want to do that thing. That is a second-order desire. Now, what philosophers say is, many philosophers have argued this, um, that the difference between us and animals is that we have second-order desires. Because many animals, you know, animals don't, right? They just do whatever. If they, if they need to sleep, they just go to sleep. If they're hungry, they just eat. If they want to fight, they just fight. You know, and they have even, they even have, you know, familial kind of instincts, right? But that's what it is. It's all instinct. They don't think about it. Right, we've, and we kind of talked about this before, but dogs, you know, they're not like, like thinking about it, right? Like if, if there is something happening, if some fight or flight instinct is happening, you know, in the jungle, and there's a lion and there's hyenas, you know, hyenas aren't there like, all right, what do I do, <laughs> right? Like the lion's big. What do you guys want to do? You know, like they don't have a conversation about it. Like, okay, what should we do? Are we going to win this or are we going to lose this? You know, like what's going to happen? No, they just kind of react on instinct. They just do whatever they feel. Right? If they're hungry, they eat. They're tired, they sleep. And they, they play and stuff too, right? But they just do it because they feel like it. They don't think about it. And what some philosophers argue is that like, that's the difference between us and animals. That we have convictions. That we can actually analyze our desires. And we can decide whether or not we want that to be a desire of ours or not. Right? Because you can just... You know, of course, we can just live our lives being completely, for example, like unhealthy. Or at some point, we can think about it and say, even though all my desires lead me to an unhealthy lifestyle, I don't want that. So I want to change my desires. I desire different desires. See, real freedom. Like, we all understand that, right? I know it was a little bit complicated. But we all understand that. Real freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the ability to make the choice you want to make even when you don't want to make it. To just react to whatever I'm feeling all the time, that's actually slavery. To be slave to my basest 
instincts. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm bored, I play. You know, if I'm sad, I will go to some coping mechanism to feed my sadness. Now, as this pertains to us and God, while some of us can will ourselves to act on what we want to want, so some of us can, we can, you can muster up that will, right? Like you can force yourself to exercise, even though you don't want to exercise. However, if we do that just by our own willpower, there will never be real joy or satisfaction there. And this is why. Because at the core of it, the reason you'll do it is to prove that you can do it. That will be what's at the heart of it. Now, that we're all born with that. Because what we most want to do in our hearts is prove something about ourselves. So if I, you know, don't want to do something, I, 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 I want to eat a hamburger, but I want to want to eat a salad. And I force myself to eat salad. The reason I'll do that is to prove to myself that I can eat salad. It's to prove to myself that I can be a healthy person. It's to prove that I can be smart. It's to prove that I can be successful. It's to prove something about myself so I can gain some kind of validation. I am athletic. You know, I am cool. I am this. I am that. I can be this. I can be that. If I impose my will on this situation to prove I'm organized, successful, I'm not a mess, not inconsiderate, I'm not lazy. But in Christ, and only in Christ, when we act on what we want to want because we believe the value of it, when we pursue Christ because we want to want Christ, even if in the moment we don't want Christ, there is real joy. There is real satisfaction. There is real value outside of ourselves, outside of proving something to myself because there's nothing to prove to myself. That's the freedom. That's the true freedom that exists only in Christ that you can't find anywhere else. You can try to find that anywhere in the world. You can try to find it in your job. You can try to find it in your family. You can try to find it somewhere else. But only in Christ will we really experience that core connection to our identity. That this is what I'm supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. This is true freedom. Now, this is typically um, Pauline, kind of this construction. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's an indicative. It's something about you. Right, or it's something that's happened, something God has done. And it's followed by an imperative. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so that first point is that you have been created to have this freedom in Christ. The second point is stand firm in that freedom. Stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back to the law. Now, when he talks about what we're free from, it is essentially the law, the paradigm of law, right? And the idea of the law is that, so there's all these rules, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, 600 plus laws, basically the Mosaic law, actual rules that you have to abide by. And this is, we call it the Mosaic covenant, right? Or the covenant of law. 
And this is what the whole debate is about with the Galatians, right? There's a group of people who say, yes, you can have Christ, but you also need this law. And then Paul is saying, if you go to the law and you adopt any part of the law, if the law becomes any part of what you think you trust in, like for salvation, if you think, yes, I have Jesus, but I also need this. And if I don't have this, then Jesus isn't enough. Then you lose all the value of Jesus. Then Jesus doesn't really mean anything to you. Okay, why is the law in this way so bad? Okay, why is the law, why, why if we go to the law to validate ourselves essentially, like functional salvation? If you think I have to go to the law, I have to keep the law so that I'm good enough. Like why is that so bad? Okay, here's, so, <laughs> so one day I was, uh, this is like years ago, right? And I want to keep this person on So my friend, right? Uh, my friend, I'm like, I'm working, I'm kind of doing my thing during the week. My friend calls me, and they're like, um, what are you doing right now? And I said, you know, I'm just like doing some work. They say, um, can you come pick me up? I say, oh, okay, like, why, what happened? They say, I got in a car accident. So I'm like, okay. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's like, well, what's going on? You know, should we, like, call AAA or what, like this or that? And they're like, oh, you know, no, it's like the car, I'm fine, but the car's, you know, messed up. So, like, can you just come? I was like, okay, yeah. So I go, I, I go to pick them up. It's, like, in a residential area. And basically the car is totally, is, like, wrecked, right? But it's in the middle of the street. And then I come, I'm like, I'm, like, looking around, right? And I don't, I can't tell what happened. Like, I can't tell what the car hit. So I like, you know, I, I asked them, I'm like, well, so I don't get it. What happened here? And they're like, oh, you know, I, I hit that truck over there. So I look, there's this huge truck. And it's like one of those trucks that like, it, it's just like a big truck. It, you know, I don't need to explain what it is. It's just like a big truck, right, basically. Like I had that truck over there. I look at the truck. I can't even see the damage on the truck because it's like this huge truck. And I'm like, oh, so where did the, you know, where did the person go? Like that was, that was driving the truck. And they're like, um, there was no person driving the truck, right? And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? They're, uh, and they're like, no, the, the truck just came out of nowhere, you know, popped out, then I hit it, and then, like, you know, now my car is totaled. And I'm like, oh, so, like, the person, like, ran away? Like, what's going on? Like, they're not here? And they're like, no, 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 nobody's driving the truck, right? And I was like, oh, okay, so then it's your fault. And they're like, no, no, it's not my fault. The truck came out of nowhere. And I'm like, Dude, <laughs> you just told me no one was driving the truck. There's no one in the truck, right? There's, there's no other people here. Like, it's literally just us. There's not a single person anywhere. And I'm like, no, this, this is your fault. Like, you know, because you hit the truck. And they're like, no, 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 the truck came out of nowhere. I'm like, the truck can't come out of nowhere. There's nobody driving the truck. The truck's just parked there. Like, like, you hit the truck. Like, this, you know, this is your fault. To the end, right, would not, would not take blame. And what's crazy is, okay, is like, that's what we do. Did you know you can't be good at the law? Did you know that? You cannot be good at keeping the law. Right? And if you read all of Galatians, 
That's basically what it's about. The law was never meant for anybody to be good at it. The purpose of the law was to show us that we could never, ever live up to God's righteousness. If we had to do it on our own, we would never, ever be able to do it. Now, if that's the point of the law, why do we ever, why do we ever think about law as being any kind of paradigm? Now, when I say law, I'm no longer talking about the 600 plus commandments of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the way that we frame our lives by creating law. Because that's what we do. The only way you could ever be good at keeping the law is if you emphasize some parts of it over other parts of it. Or you created ones that were your own law. Right? The law of logic or the law of consideration or the law of toughness or the law of fun that we create. The law of social interaction that we create. The law of, you know, workplace etiquette that we create. Those are laws we create. And then we judge people by them. We compare. The law of family, what family should look like. That's a law we create. The heart of law, the only thing that makes law work for us, because it was never, ever designed to work for us, is if we start comparing, which creates this blindness. We can't see ourselves. This slavery. It's the kind of thing that when all of the evidence points to the fact that we are at fault, we paint it in a way to guard ourselves from incrimination. To say, I didn't do anything wrong, though. You know, this person did something wrong. It's what leads us to kind of guard in our hearts this arrogance or unforgiveness or bitterness, things that we carry, and we just we can't let go of it. We want to hold on to it. It's a prison that we create. We walk in, we lock the door behind us, and then we just sit there. Take all of the comparison out of your life for a second. Like if there were no bars set anywhere, right? What does it mean to be good at your job? Well, try to define that without thinking about any other person. What does it mean to be successful in life? Try to define that without thinking about any other person. To have a family, to be a good father or mother or husband or wife or a good church member, you know, a good missionary, a good pastor, a good teacher, a good friend. Like, try to define those things without thinking about any other person. You'll find that you're not sure what to do with your life anymore. Because we're so used to comparison. We're so used to ranking ourselves, putting ourselves somewhere as it applies to these different facets of our lives. And what Jesus is saying is, when I came, 
not what I came, when Jesus came. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, when I came to be with you, to walk among you, to know you, to live a life of perfect righteousness for you, to die on the cross for you, to suffer, even though 100% innocent, even though never done anything wrong. When I died, when I was buried, when I rose again from the dead, I did that so you could be free of that. So that wouldn't be the way that you define your life. So that wouldn't be the way that you look at yourself based on everyone else. Now, if you've tasted that freedom, now it's not like once you meet Jesus, all of a sudden you are free from comparison and you'll never do it again. Right? And that's, in fact, why Paul says, stand firm. And he's saying, you have to stand firm. Like, you have to realize that that will always, that's a, there's a temptation there to go back into that law and to try to judge yourself on a righteousness on this basis of, I'm better at this, and this person's better at that, and this person's not on my level, you know, and there's kind of these different ways that we work these things out. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 stand firm in your freedom from that. Don't go back to that. Don't think about that. And he says, he says, if you do that, you're going to lose all the value of Christ. And then he comes here and he says, in verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are free from law. What are you free for? You are free to lovingly serve others. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to, well, you know, I'm going to read this, 13 and 14. It says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's point is that when love is expressed as a result of our freedom in Christ rather than a means to our salvation by our own works, It is the fulfillment of the law rather than slavery to the law. Now, it kind of looks the same on the outside, right? Because it's like the idea is, okay, well, then you're supposed to love other people. But there are two different approaches to that. One is to come from the outside and say, if I love other people enough, then God will love me. You know, if I do enough, if I, and that can go, that can also get into kind of religion and or empty religion, I should say, like religious works, like reading the Bible and praying and just kind of doing these things and thinking, well, if I do enough of these things, then God will love me. If I do enough of these things, I'll, I'll get over like a certain bar, and then I'll be good enough for God to love me, for God to accept me, to get into heaven, however you want to frame it. Right? And what Paul is saying is, it looks the same on the outside, but the, the core motivation is completely different. Right? To come from the outside and say, if I do enough of this, one, you're always going to be looking at the minimum, right? Because you'll hate it. 
You will never want to read the Bible. You will never want to pray. You will never want to give your life to mission. You will never want to give money to the church. Or you will never want to, like, support people or, like, sacrifice. You won't want to do those things. You will just begrudgingly do them because you feel like there's a minimum level that I have to get to or else something's wrong or I'm going to be punished or something bad is going to happen or I'm going to go to hell. Like, there are all these kind of different motivations that are going to be there. And Paul is saying that is slavery. To think like that is terrible. It's going to always be burdensome if you think that way. And, and certainly there's still, even if you think the right way, there's some burden. That's just natural. But this is a different kind of burden. It's an overwhelming burden to feel like you might, you know, you might be on the verge of hell all the time or on the outs with God all the time. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it is, right? Jesus already did everything. It's 100% on his righteousness. You can't even adopt a little bit of the law. You can't even say, God, Jesus did most of it, but I'm going to do a little bit too. I'm going to do my part. Like your part as it in that way, like God, of course, he loves it when we try to do something for him. But if we try to do it for our salvation, then it becomes trash. Like that's garbage to God. Because it's not going to work, right? Like, we're never going to be good enough to do that what Jesus did. But if we do it in light of what Jesus did, right, if it's because of what Jesus if Jesus has already done it, and we completely put our faith there, and it's like, God, I know I can't do anything to earn my salvation. I'm, I'm nowhere close to that. Like, I can't do that. But if we step into it in light of what Jesus did, then it becomes a fulfillment of the law. It becomes what the law is meant to be, just a guide for us. As we trust in Jesus. That's true freedom expressed in love and selfless service. Now I know that sounds pretty basic, right? Like like love. Basically just, just love. Like sacrificially love people. That is what it means to exercise your freedom in Christ. I don't know if this is gonna work. <laughs> this I have this I have this image that I was I guess I'll just, I'll try it. I'm going to use it, right? But um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't love it, but, <laughs> you know, I'll try it. But um, so imagine, imagine kind of like, like you've been painting, okay, like your whole life. Okay, like you've been, you've been painting a picture, okay? And um, just imagine it. I don't know. I've never, I've never actually done this, so it's probably why it's not going to work well. But, you know, like uh, just imagine, you're, you know, you got a canvas, right, one of those, and you got the, the thing. What is this thing called? The, the easel, right? And uh, there's paints and stuff, and you got brushes, and you're painting a, a picture. Now, you start your painting when you're born, and you don't know what you're painting. You're just kind of painting on there, right? And the thing is, like, your whole life, as you're painting, it's like everybody in your life is watching you paint, okay? and they're telling you stuff. Like, oh, that tree looks weird, you know, like, add this color, like, add that color, and on top of that, like, people come, and they, like, throw paint on your canvas, you know? They just kind of, they're just kind of walking by, and they just, like, do some stuff, and they paint in the corner, and you have just this unfinished picture, right, this, this painting. And this is kind of how we think of our lives because we have this paradigm already, right? Like, we have this way that we think life is supposed to be. It's like, you know, you go to school, and you get grades, and you go to college, and maybe you go to grad school or something, and you date, and you get married, and you have a career, and you have kids, and then your kids do stuff, and they graduate, and then, you know, you retire, and then, like, you die. 
right? And basically everything in, bete- in between those things, those milestones, the time spent in between those things is just like, that's life. But we just kind of spend it waiting for the next one. Right? And that's how your painting is because that's the way you've been living your life for however many years. You know, 20, 30, 40 years. That's, that's kind of what it's like. And then you feel like, well, what can I do with this painting now? Because I've already been doing it and people have been telling me stuff and it's all like here. See, because I, so I had this conversation um, with my, I had this conversation with my, my mother-in-law. You know, and I was talking to her the other day and she's like older, right? And she's like, you know, you know, and when you, when you get older, like to that age, she's like in her 70s. She's like thinking about death and stuff like that. And she's like, you know, what can I kind of do? You know, what can, what can I do now with my, with my life? It's like I'm older. What's really there? And, you know, I, I told her like, And I guess I guess this is something that we can think about. We can think about in our lives too. Um, you know what? And I'll I'll say it like this, okay? Because I'm gonna let me let me give these couple application points, okay? Just in closing, um, the first thing I would say is urgently exercise your freedom to pursue Christ. Urgently exercise your freedom to pursue Jesus. And, and the reason I say it like that, and it has to do with what my mother-in-law said. It has to do with this. You know, so, so Kobe Bryant died last week, right? He died in a, in a helicopter crash. Right? He played uh, 20 years for the Lakers. He's a five-time champ, two-time scoring champ, two-time finals MVP, regular season MVP, 18-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA 12-time All-Defensive, one of the greatest players ever. He's like, you know, my, he was my favorite player for a long time. He's one of the toughest, harding work, hardest working players ever, right? He called him the, the Black Mamba. And after he retired from basketball, he won an Oscar. He won a, you know, a sports Emmy. He became a dedicated father and coach. And he, along with eight other people, including his own daughter, who was 13, two other kids who are, who are 13 and 14, they died. It was a helicopter crash. It's a tragic incident. And things like, people were shocked, right? People were shocked. And because, and I remember last week, last week I had trouble preaching because, like, I just found out right before service, and I was, like, talking with praise with it about it upstairs. We're, like, all chatting about it. We're, like, getting emotional because it's just, like, shocking, right, to, to find that out. And it's, it's, it's been shocking for, like, non-basketball fans. Like, you know, other athletes, like, in, in uh, soccer and, like, tennis, like, they're doing tributes to him. They didn't even know him. And then there's random people just, like, going to L.A. Live and, like, you know, going to downtown L.A. They're just, like, putting up their leaving shoes and they're, like, writing notes and stuff like that. It's pretty shocking. And one of the reasons it's shocking is because you look at a person like Kobe Bryant, and he had no downward spiral in his life, right? Not at the moment, right? It's not like he was on drugs or something, or he was doing something crazy, like on the side. At least we don't know about it. It doesn't seem like it, right? He seemed to be 
very successful, like thriving in this time of in his life. He's 41 years old. He's pretty young. And he had like a reputation to be very tough. And so when something like that happens to almost like a, a, a mythical, you know, figure in our heads, you have a hard time like wrapping your head around it. But the truth of the matter is we could die any time. If Kobe Bryant, who's like very wealthy and physically fit, one of the, you know, top athletes in the world, and he wasn't super old, and he didn't play football, it wasn't some kind of like, you know, like sports-related injury, if he could just die like that, I mean, there were, there was a, there was a couple and their daughter on the helicopter, and they're survived by just another kid. And this is what I said to my mother-in-law. Here. Whether you live 40 more years or you live one more day, even if it's just one day, like my prayer is that that would be like the freest you ever lived. Like that you would enjoy the unbridled love of Jesus the most that day. And then every day following until the end. Because the truth is like you don't, you think like what you have on this canvas is like a, just a messy painting. But it's not. Because when you are in Christ, you get a whole new canvas. You get something blank. Right? And rather than thinking like people telling you, well, you got to do this and you got to do that and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you think like, well, I've already been doing this for like 20, 30, 40 years. How can I change it now? But Jesus just gives you a blank canvas and he says, paint. Just do whatever you want. That's the, that's the real freedom that we experience in him. That's what he wants us to enjoy every day. Like, don't think, well, you know, there's plenty of time moving forward to do whatever. Get my life in order, to do something for Jesus, to love people or to, you know, know him. It's, it's, it's not a matter of the, because that's the law talking. Right, the idea that I can turn it around before my life is over. That's, that's not the point, right? The point is every day that you waste, like every day you don't do it is the day that you wasted where you didn't have the enjoyment and the peace and the life and the love that God wants for you. Urgently put your faith in him. He's always waiting. He never disappoints. Here's a second application point here. Commit to using your freedom to love others in Christ. Now, I know, again, that sounds very, like, cliche, right? But imagine that that thing that you think life is, you know, birth, school, college, 
you know, work or grad school or, you know, date or get married or have kids, have a family, whatever, find a career, you know, go to here or go to there, live my life, retire, die. Like, imagine that that thing is wiped away and your new thing on your blank canvas is love people. Love people in Christ. Love people with the gospel. You know what I find just insane about, about, so I, I got a crazy, I had like an emotional week, honestly, just, just to be honest, right? And it was weird because I didn't think I would be very emotional. I thought I'd be a little bit emotional, but like Sunday night, you know, it just like hit me. And then Boomy's getting emotional. You know, we're just at home, like eating dinner. All of a sudden she's like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh. She's all of a sudden like emotional about it and she's like i don't know why i'm emotional like all this kind of stuff and the thing is like they would say things on tv you know like they would say oh well this is just basketball right and basketball doesn't matter in light of this tragedy and that and the and it's interesting because that's true obviously that's true but you know what's crazy is that the reason that people love kobe so much like the reason that like la is so grief stricken right now is basketball. It's not because Kobe was like a soldier or a doctor or the president or something like that. He just, he played basketball. That was his job. But it's because he did it so hard that people are affected by it. And I don't, and look, I don't know if Kobe was like Christian or what. Like, I don't, I honestly don't know that. So nobody knows that stuff. God knows that kind of stuff. Only God can judge in that way. I'm not saying we should look at Kobe as some kind of, you know, model of inspiration. What I'm saying is, in light of that truth, like, pursue the love that we can give, this love that can free people with that much more, like, zealous passion, with that much more dedication, with that much more determination, with that much more discipline, with that much more, you know, imagination, with that much more, like, creativity and, and power and hope and a, with a desire to inspire people to do something beyond for us, ourselves, to be inspired. You know what's crazy? If you, do you, you guys know this, like, this is a, like, if you know it, don't say it. But, you know, if you fold a piece of paper 50 times, do you know how high that is? Anyone have a guess? Like, if you don't know the actual answer, some of you probably know. <laughs> Any thoughts? If you folded a piece of paper 50 times, it would reach the moon. That sounds ridiculous, right? That sounds like that can't be right. It's right. Like, imagine what God could do if you wholly dedicated yourself. Like, if loving people sacrificially in light of what Christ has done for you, if that was the number one thing in your life, 
Not the number two thing. Not the thing you do in between other things. Not the thing that you go with the mentality of doing other things with or when you have spare time you do or, you know, you don't plan for, but you'll do it if there's an opportunity. Like if that was the thing, if that was the purpose of your freedom in Christ, commit to that. Commit to that being the purpose of your freedom, to love others as Christ has loved us. Let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, we thank you, God, because a lot of times we feel this burden. We feel a temptation. We feel this draw back to the law, God, to to go back to this this notion that, um, you know, we have to accomplish for you to think that we're good enough. God, to go back to this notion that there is this comparison that matters, that there is this there is this achievement that we have to have that is greater than the people next to us than the people around us and God I really pray that you would help us to just experience and to know that there is freedom in you God there's nothing that we have to do for you to love and accept us. In fact, if there is anything that we think we can do to make our own case, uh, that would deny you of the power that you have in our lives, God. We want to experience the full joy and the full power and the full freedom of really stepping into you and saying, God, you know, I know I can't do anything uh, to make you love me, but you have already loved me anyway. You have already demonstrated that by sending your son to die on the cross. We pray, God, that you would help us to step into that. Um, even now, God, we really entrust it to you. We thank you so much and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, we're going to have a time of communion now. Um, you know, communion is uh, something that we do to really honor Jesus and to remember uh, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us on the cross. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're not a believer or you're not sure kind of where you stand, um, to just abstain from this time and, and maybe meditate or, or spend some time in prayer. Uh, but for those of us who would uh, partake, let's really step into this time and know, thank God for the freedom that we have in him and maybe use this time as a way that we can commit to um, exercising that freedom for the love of others around us. And so uh, I'm just going to read this from Corinthians 11 and then I'll, I'll pray for us one more time and then we can just step to the back and, and partake of the elements. Uh, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray one more time. Father God, thank you so much once again for the cross. Uh, we ask, God, that as we step into this time of communion, would you bless it with your presence, God. Would you bless the bread that we eat as a representation of your body God, that was broken for us. Would you bless you know, the fruit of the vine that we drink as, as it is a representation of the blood that was shed on the cross for us, God. And as we partake of this time, we pray that we would remember you, that we would experience your blessing on our hearts and our lives. We thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.